Well, I imagined what I would do if I saw those bullies. Every single day I was in my room imagining what I would do to the bullies the next time they confronted me. Imagined what I would do as I would do those push-ups. Imagined what I'd do as I practiced my boxing at the wall or with, them, uh, with the gloves on my hands and boxing with my dad. I, I had it locked in my head what I was going to do to those bullies, especially at the age of five. I was five years old and I found myself in face to face with my bully in my backyard and with all that energy and all that thinking I lifted up my fists and I was ready to defend myself and he socked me straight in the mouth knocking out my two front teeth. And that's how I lost my baby teeth as a kid. You know, have you ever had those situations imagining where you would confront the, your bullies, your enemy, somebody like that in the boardroom? Or maybe you're imagining what you would say to them when you, when you got in that car or got off that, off that plane flight or maybe when you saw them on your block or whatever it was. You've got that instantaneous quip. You know exactly how you would treat them. You know exactly what you would do only to have the opportunity and, and it just passes you by. Well, we're going to see a situation where some people are really focused and finding their enemies. In fact, Paul has rotated his way all the way now to Jerusalem and his encounter in Jerusalem is going to be a lot of enemies facing off. And in this picture, as we come to the end of the beginning, as we look at the end of the beginning of the gospel movement, as we enter on that same gospel adventure, we're going to see the contrast between how we on the gospel adventure confront our enemies and how our enemies confront each other and us. And so if you've got a Bible, I want to encourage you, grab it, open up to Acts chapter 21. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through chapter 22, verse 22. So if you've got that Bible, open it up. Again, we have Paul and what he has done is come to Jerusalem. He's shown to, he's been shown he's a limitation by the Jerusalem leaders. And so in an effort to remove the limits for the sake of the gospel, and he limits his liberty, he goes in and enters into a seven day purification period so he can pay for the Levites, or sorry, the, these uh, men who've done this vow, um, this Nazareth right vow to pay off those vows. And so he's come to his seventh day as he's entering into the temple. Verse 27, it says, when the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, if you'd been in the temple, there would have been a dividing wall that would have literally had a sign on it that says, if you are of the nations, if you're not Jewish, you could not cross that wall upon pain of death. In fact, Rome understood how peculiar the Jewish people were about this, so they even allowed it to occur. So you can imagine walk into that temple, come to that wall, and suddenly you could go no further if you weren't Jewish. And they're claiming Paul had brought somebody beyond that place. And so suddenly we continue because they've misunderstood what is going on the scene. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. And then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And once again, the gates were shut. And what we have is an interesting situation. You see, the Jewish people had come to a deep hatred of the Romans and of anyone who was of the nations. 
And this isn't what God intended to the people of Israel. Yes, he called them out to be holy. He called them out to be separate. He called his home to be dwelling in their land. But throughout the years of their oppression, throughout the years of them being conquered over and over and over again, they lost the direction of where they were founded for going. They had been called by God to be a peculiar people, to be a people who actually were to proclaim the wonders of the name of their God. And so as we see this, we realize, hey, they, were, they weren't supposed to just keep everybody out. They were supposed to be inviting people in. Let me give you some examples. In Exodus chapter 9, verse 16, it said, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The goal of Israel was to be formed for the sake of proclaiming the name of our God, the name of Yahweh, through the whole world. Now, we also see that again, also in the founding charters, right, in the book of Exodus, we wind up with this. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, the Lord says, and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. So all the different nations, they are God's special people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This means they were supposed to be the ones the nations came to, to connect with, to meet God. Not to keep them away. Priests are there to be the go-betweens. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. That they were supposed to be a, a holy nation, a, priest, a kingdom of priests. You may recognize that because that becomes the actual statement that Peter makes about the church. And so what we see here is that the Israelites were formed originally to bring a message, to bring the knowledge of God to the nations as a holy priesthood. But instead what we have here is a people who are so angry at the Romans, so angry at the Babylonians, so angry at all the nations that surrounded them, so ready to be holy in their own right, so able to keep hold of all of what they loved, they missed something. They allowed their traditions and their comforts to be more important than their mission. And while we go on the adventure with the gospel, we need to learn from this. We need to keep the mission first. We need to remember that there are a lot of things that we can be comfortable with. Look, as Christians, we can become insulated, too insulated. We become too comfortable in fact, I would say comfort is one of the enemies of the adventure with the gospel because what often happens is our comforts become more important than the mission. We begin to consider that, our, that coming to church and having nice seats and great worship is the point of Christianity, and it's not. The point of Christianity is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, to bring it out to everyone that surrounds us, to let them know that Jesus Christ has borne their sins on the cross, that he has equalized all of humanity there, and that we can all be saved in the same way. That's the message we're supposed to give. Not divide humanity up, not to view, our, view those people as belonging beyond our walls, and yet our comforts get in the way. I mean, think about this question. What comforts are you afraid to drop for the sake of the gospel? If I was to challenge you right now to go to your neighbors, your five neighbors around you, knock on the door and present the gospel to them, I guarantee you would be nervous. Guarantee your heart would be in your throat, you would be dry mouthed, and you would probably make some quick excuses about offending them or, you know, it's not the right time because our comfort for us is often more important than the presence or the presentation of the gospel. Maybe it's simply that we're at church 
And uh, we don't want to want to present the gospel today because it doesn't really fit. It feels like we're we're shooing it in. We're we're not really making it clear. Or, or maybe you're just waiting for that right moment and that right moment never comes. Perhaps we're at work and it just wouldn't be appropriate or, or whatever. Guys, there's lots of things about our comforts and our fears that keep us from presenting the gospel. And those can grow even further, actually, as we begin to um, let what is familiar, what, let what we consider our Christianity become a detriment to the opportunity for the gospel to go to people who need it. I mean, let's be honest. What would we do if we saw that the, a transgender person come into our church dressed in their clothing as they feel like they are representing themselves and what would we, you know, you can't do that, send them away. What would we do? That's a great question. Would you be uncomfortable? Would you say, that's, that's it, we're done? Would you leave with the comforts and what you're familiar with cause you to not be able to give the gospel the chance? How about if we have a, have a young person come in and cussing and, and doing stuff and, and you know that kid's going to be in your kid's youth group with their small group and you're going, my goodness, I don't want that kid around my kid. Is it our, what we're hoping and familiar about that we're going to exclude? We're going to say, no, 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 you can't bring them in here because that's the danger what the Jewish people were doing. They had come to the place where they had let their comforts, their traditions, the familiarity of their lives get in front of the mission. And we can't do that when we're on the gospel adventure. We need to learn from this scene because it gets even worse. As they begin to get angry, as they begin to feel that they are being violated and that their comforts and their traditions are being removed, now we've got a problem because suddenly a mob explodes. Look down here with verse 31. And so it says, and, they came, and as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took the soldiers and the centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Huh. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Some in, the, when, some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and he could not learn the facts because of the uproar. He ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd, for the mob of the people followed, crying out, away with him. And what we have here is suddenly this mob violence because of the anger, because of what they believed was going on. A mob has erupted, and now we need to be careful because while we don't want to get distracted by the mission, we also don't want to get distracted by mob mentalities. Christianity is not a mob mentality thing, just to be honest. Scripture, time and time again, never presents Christians as forming mobs. That's not our calling. That's not what we're here for. We're here to present the gospel. Now, these people had gathered in this mob, and what's dangerous about this kind of mob mentality is, to be quite honest, we wind up losing a lot of things. First and foremost, uh, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to get involved in a mob. Well, be careful because social media can quickly turn into mob mentality quite often. And what we need to do is try to step away and be above the fray because the several things disappear. I mean, number one, when we look at this, notice that they are, they are seeking to kill him. They have rushed him. And even when he's trying to ask questions about what is going on in this confusion, they've lost the reason. They lose the point. They've lost the reasoning. They don't have nuance anymore. Man, it is just about what everybody's yelling at the same time. And we don't even know what we're yelling about. 
They had to actually carry him out because of the violence. You see, what happens in mobs is our baser selves come out. Our emotions are vented and we create in ourselves an emotional spewing that actually causes more damage and often leads to further violence and further violence and further danger. Now, we as a people understand, as Christians, we're to love our enemies. But what we see here is when the Jewish people were confronted with their enemy, man, they were ready to attack. In fact, we already know what the Romans were going to do. The Romans were there, and when they met their enemies, they were ready to control. So they show up, grab things, make things happen. Now Christianity is sitting in the middle of all of this, between two sides, the Romans and the Jewish people, where there's this tension constantly boiling. So much so that Paul finds himself in this difficulty amongst this mob and in this the most dangerous situation of his life. And it is in that dangerous situation that something strange happens. Something very, very unexpected. If you will, look with me at verse 37. Paul, as he was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness? And Paul replied, I'm, I'm a Jew from the Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. He's very proud of that. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. Uh, what? Last time I checked, Paul was just being beaten. Paul was about to be killed. Paul has probably been pummeled. He's now been carried away and with chains around his neck all the way upstairs. I mean, these guys hate his guts. The other guys think he's a criminal. In fact, they think he's a rebel, probably ready to crucify him. And he's like, hey, by the way, can I take a minute? Because I really want to talk to somebody. I mean, who in the middle of war stands up and says, hold on, hey, hey, everybody, hold on a second. I know you're just you know, beating me up because you captured me. Can, can I get one minute with you, please? See, Paul's facing his enemies. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? Where is he going to go? What Paul's going to do is he's going to see this as an opportunity. Hey, there's a large crowd down there. I think I know what to do with this. And Paul looks at his enemies, looks at those who are ready to harm him, looks at those who are literally physically beating him, and he goes, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share the gospel. And it reminds us, guys, this is a challenge. When we're on the gospel adventure, it doesn't matter how the crowd necessarily was formed. We need to use every opportunity for the gospel. We need to use every chance that we have. See, Paul, in verse 40, it picks up in this way. He says, And when they had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language. Huh. I find that funny. Like, first of all, why would they give him a chance? But second of all, um, he stands up and he starts to motion to them in the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew dialect, and they became more quiet. You know, Paul seems to say it's because Paul raised his hand and everybody is willing to listen. I have a tendency to believe it's because the Romans were standing back there with their swords going, you better listen. You know, so it's perceptions here. But the point is that Paul is now ready to give the gospel to a crowd that had just been beating him. What do we do when confronted by our enemies? Well, the Jewish people, they formed a mob. The Roman people, they used their power. Christians, we preach a message of love. We love our enemies. And we do it at every opportunity to share the gospel as we possibly can. 
We want to bring them a message of hope. We want to bring them an opportunity to have been transformed and converted by the very Jesus who has converted and transformed our lives. Whether they've been beating us, yelling at us, knocked out our two front teeth, you name it. We have to be the kind of people who get to the place where we are ready to present the gospel. But how many opportunities are we missing because we avoid the discomfort? How many opportunities are we missing because, hey, we're not used to the difficulty that comes with the gospel? I think that one of the reasons Paul was ready to present the gospel is this ain't the first beating he's ever had. This isn't the first time he's been in the midst of a mob. I mean, Paul has looked at this and seen this, and he's now ready to respond because he has been seasoned and prepared throughout the ministry that he's been doing to present the message to these people who are against him. The second thing is that Paul was predicted that he would be arrested, predicted that he would go through these things. I think somewhere in his head, he had prepared his heart and prepared himself for the sake of actually getting out there and preaching the gospel when that time came. And you say, well, I've never get, been given that prediction. Yes, you have. Uh, Jesus tells us that we will be persecuted. Timothy says, uh, in Tim, 1 Timothy, it says, the righteous will be persecuted. Guys, we've been promised that we're going to go through difficulty. As long as we continue to avoid it, we're going to miss the opportunities God is putting before us. And I'm preaching to myself. Because, man, I don't want to be punched again. And I'm asking myself, why? And I go back. Have I allowed the comforts to get in the way of my mission? Have I allowed something to invade my heart to keep me from wanting to bring that message to others? Paul is a great example, a challenging example. And what he presents to us then is a way forward. As he stands before these men, he is actually going to give the gospel from his testimony. And for those of you who are like, what's a testimony? Well, a testimony is your story of what God has done through Jesus Christ in your life to transform you, bring him to you, and now use you beyond that. And Paul's testimony about Jesus is powerful for this crowd. And let's face it, Paul's been doing this so long, it's easy for him to put these pieces together. But I think he understood what he's doing. And so we can pick up some things to help you out as you want to present your story to your friends, to others around you. And so we have some pieces. First and foremost, he, Paul does something. He builds a bridge. And so we want to build a bridge. What do we mean? Like physically build a bridge? What is this, Fortnite? No. What we want to do is we want to build a relational bridge. We want to connect with people. We want to show them that we get it. We understand where they're at. Acts continues as Paul begins to speak, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 22. He says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Probably pointing at them right down there. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. He says, look, guys, I got a lot that I can relate to you with. I get it. I'm zealous for the law. Jerusalem's my hometown. I love the temple. 
Man, I've got the training. I'm ready. I'm ready to stand up for the law like you guys were. In fact, I went so far, I've already killed Christians for this. It's like, you want to kill me? I get it. I know where you're at. He's building a bridge. So what's powerful is when you meet someone who has a similarity in your life, you can quickly build a bridge. Hey, I grew up in a house like that. Hey, man, I had those similar struggles. Dude, I was really wrestling in high school with those same issues or those same ideas. Man, I've struggled with those questions about Christianity and how to answer those deep things. And see, when we meet each other in those same wrestling places, we give people a chance to lean in and hear, well, how did you solve that, that question of the problem of evil? Or how did you solve that frustration that I had when, when my parents got a divorce and I thought God had abandoned me? I mean, how do you solve it when I had parents who were just crushing me because they thought that's what Christianity was about? Or how, how do you solve when I was, I was doing drugs and I just was searching for stuff and I was living out of a out of a out of a you know a shed and I don't even know what to do. The awesome opportunity to meet people like ourselves and to lean in is powerful. Now some of you guys are going, I grew up in a in a Christian home. I, I don't even have a story. I don't know what to tell them. And that's why you get to know people who are who aren't Christians. As you get to meet them, you can relate to them, you can empathize, you can understand where they're coming from, their struggles, and that enables you to go through a journey, begin to answer those questions. You can say, you know, I've, I've met people who have that same struggle. Here's, how I, here's what happened for me as I wrestled through that. You have stories, you have a testimony that you can deliver and how Jesus will meet you in it. And that's where it goes next. After you've begun to build that bridge, after you've connected with those people, share the moment of change. Share that moment in which everything turned on and flipped. That's what Paul does next. Verse 6. As I was on my way and drew near Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were there with me and came into Damascus. It is important that we come to this place where we begin to have the conversation about how we were confronted by Jesus. Paul says, man, I was confronted by Jesus. I don't know anybody who's had a conversion from not Christian to Christian without a confrontation by God of some kind. I, I can remember I was in my living room, totally loaded, high, munching out on all the all the chocolate I could find in the house and my mother had caught me and she was sitting there in that chair nearly weeping just disappointed and yet suddenly the words like lightning from the Lord struck my heart and in those moments I realized oh my gosh what was I doing I needed to turn around and God arrested my heart right then and there Maybe your story is something different. Maybe it was a choice one day that you had to make and you walked an aisle. Maybe it was one day a, a truth just lit up and suddenly you realized, how come I don't believe there is a God when all of these people who are much healthier than me do, as some of my friends have said. 
Maybe it's that you've sat there and you've come to the discovery that in your AA meeting, your NA meeting, or wherever you find yourself that, hey, I need a higher power and I realize that that God actually exists. Or maybe it's in the study of philosophy or science that suddenly it blew your mind. Share that story. Because what you need to do is be able to bring the moment of confrontation to these people and you need to explain to them that they are being confronted by the gospel right there because confrontation precedes transformation. God must confront sin, must confront your sin before he is going to transform you. You cannot walk into the kingdom without being confronted by your sin. It's an impossibility. Every development in life is a confrontation of God to our sin to transform us and move us forward. And it begins that way. And so Christians, if you feel like I can't confront this person, you may be avoiding the very instance that will transform their hearts. Because this is the very reality. All the confrontation precedes the transformation. And the enemy, Satan, and all the demonic beings of this world want to keep you concerned about your comfort and not confronting someone, especially today. And so how many opportunities are lost? How many times do we just kind of soft-pedal Jesus because we're afraid that confrontation will push them away? Every salvation began with a confrontation. A confrontation of the soul, the words of God coming through. We need to bring this to people. We need to bring these, these confrontations. That transformation will occur. The gospel confronts our sin, even in the story like this. And so we move from how God confronted us to how he began to move us. And so I think third, you need to tell about the one. To say the one, who's the one? The one is that person who helped bring it together for you. Bring it to a full understanding. Bring it to that baptism. Bring it to that first step. Sometimes the person who leads you to Christ isn't the person who brings you to that solid commitment forward. My mom brought me to Christ, but it was my, my youth leader, Doug, who solidified the faith in my heart. He was the one who put the pieces together and made it make sense where the aha moments just kept bursting. He's the one who pointed me to the word of God and how to pray. There was a transformation that occurred rapidly after God arrested my heart because of that one for me, Doug. For Paul, it was a guy named Ananias. And so we pick it up in verse 12. And one, Ananias. A devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me. And standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, to hear a voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. I love this. See, Ananias is a bold dude. He was praying, and Jesus says, go talk to Saul, the one who's going to kill all of you. And he's like, uh, what? But what Jesus calls us to do is not to go hate our enemy, to love our enemy, to bring a confrontation to the gospel. And so Ananias gets up, goes down the street, finds Saul, stands there, lays his hands on him, prays over him, tells him these things. Boom, he receives his sight, takes him out, is baptized. If it wasn't for Ananias as the link forward because he was brave, who knows what Saul would have thought he saw? You know, bad chicken that made me blind. Who knows? 
The bottom line is there is somebody who links it forward. There's somebody in your life who's going to bring you forward. You need to tell them about that person because too often what happens is we bring somebody to raise a hand to receive Jesus and then they don't know where to go next and we need to be there to be that one. We need to explain there is that one. Hey, I want to share that with you. I want to walk with you. I want to invite you because, hey, this is a great adventure and I may not be very far along or you may be super far along, but I want to invite you to join me. Come on, let's do this together. I want all of us to be the one for someone. I want all of us to be in somebody's story some point, be the Ananias, who brought and linked the message of Jesus to them. That is the heartbeat of sharing wherever we go. And so as you share what Jesus did in you and to you, as you confront with that gospel, so you also need to share about that Doug or that Dave or even that Ananias. Maybe it was a Sharon. Maybe it was somebody else who, who poured into you to link that gospel together. Maybe it was the person who baptized you. Maybe it was the person who first discipled you. But bring that person in because it is important to talk about how that growth began and how you began to be transformed transformed. And then you share the purpose God gave you. Hey, some of you are like, God gave me a purpose? Yeah, I believe he did. He gives every single person. He gives everybody a purpose in the adventure. For Paul, it was to evangelize to the nations. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell in a trance. And I saw him, meaning Jesus, saying to me, make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed me. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Saul was given that very clear presentation of purpose. Guys, you have been given a purpose. His was to go away to the Gentiles. Yours might be to enter into ministry. Maybe it's just to get out there and to share people around you that, at your workplace, to be a, an influence of the gospel and care for them in ways they've never seen care before. Maybe it's to join a ministry to care for the homeless. Maybe it's to be a leader over children or youth or, or young adults. Maybe it's to disciple people and constantly do that. Maybe it's to use your skills, whether it's online or whether it's in photography or you name it, so that the gospel is declared and then God can begin to work and move through you. We all have a purpose. And here's the thing. Most of us who don't know what they are, it's because you haven't been moving forward anyway. God starts by giving you those gifts. As you begin to use the gift, as you begin to move forward, as you begin to develop a knowledge of the word of God, there is something that will come out. You say, well, Paul got it immediately. Yeah, but Paul was a, uh, like a Jewish PhD, right? I mean, this guy had already trained like crazy. And now, when God grabbed him, all that past learning locked in, boom, and he's ready to go. On. Some of you, it'll be that simple. Everything that's happened in your life, for every hurt, every skill, every weird thing, will suddenly coalesce into your purpose for the Lord. And you'll go, that's what that was there for. Wow. And you'll know. Some of you, you're so at the beginning, you just need to begin to get on the adventure. You feel like 
I don't know what it is. Where have you been stepping out? Where have you been taking risks for God? Where have you been taking a risk to serve? Where have you been taking a risk to love someone? Where have you been taking a risk to share the gospel with them? How do you not know that you may be the next Billy Graham if you won't open your mouth and get past the comforts? We can't know because if we don't engage, we won't know what the purpose God has for you is. I'm challenging you to get into the adventure. Use your testimony. Get out there and begin to share. Even if there unwilling to listen and that was Paul's case here crowd of enemies take this opportunity to preach we don't know if anybody became a Christian out of it but it didn't matter we share even when people are unwilling to listen as he hit that line about the Gentiles this is what happened up to this word they listened to him and they raised their voices and said away with such a fellow I love that we're so nice in our English right away with such a fellow now that means kill him Every single time, away from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Kill him. That's what they're shouting. Kill him. Probably not what he hoped for when he preached the gospel. But our goal, our calling, is not to make people disciples. It is to preach the gospel and allow God to work in the hearts of men. To allow God to change the hearts of women to allow God to transform those. It is not our job to say who gets to hear it and who doesn't, who gets to be in this place and who doesn't. It's not about our comforts. It is about the mission. And we don't let our comforts get in the way. And we need to take even in the dangerous moments the opportunity to preach the message, whether we use our testimony, the gospel, you name it, we confront people with the message of Jesus because in that confrontation, it will begin a transformation. And even if they don't listen to us, we have at least done what God has called us to do. This is the kind of boldness we need today. This is the kind of boldness that we need to get back into because we need to be out there to present the gospel in every way possible. No, it's not comfortable. No, it's not easy. But it's what adventure we've been called to. It's what we're on. Let's get engaged. Let's get moving. Let's be faithful. Because we have a Lord who is faithful. Amen? You see, what are you going to do when you confront your enemies? I hope it's an opportunity for you to love them, present the gospel, because when Jesus confronted his enemies, and I'm talking about spiritual enemies, I'm talking about physical enemies, what he did is he loved them. And if you'll read the scriptures long enough, you'll come to the realization that we stand as enemies before God. Our sin is a rebellion against God. It is giving God the middle finger and telling him to get lost. And God, in the desire to love us, came to this earth. And when he came to face us, what he did is he said, I love you. And I will take your rebellion. I will take the punishment that belongs to that because you've offended me so greatly. You've harmed me so massively, but I will swallow it whole upon myself. And so Jesus went to the cross to bear our sins. And then he says, now, if you will trust me, I want to give you this for free. You don't earn it. You don't clean up and get it. You don't have to do some magic song and dance. Nope. What you need to do is simply receive the gift that God promises you. Do you trust him? Because he's offering it to you today. Now you can reject that and you can take the you can take your rebellion on yourself you can take all of that on yourself and you will suffer hell for that but right now he's telling you you don't have to you can come out do you trust me i will take it for you and to prove it he rose from the dead to prove it he came back to life because he gives you the promise of eternal life if you will simply receive his sacrifice for you 
I don't know what's stopping you right now, but would you hear me please today and receive the forgiveness of your sins, the forgiveness of your rebellion? He's willing to take it for you. If that's you right now, I want to give you an opportunity to. Would you bow your heads? You simply ask this, God, I know that I've sinned. I ask that you, Jesus, would forgive me. And I trust that you took my sins on the cross. I trust your promise that you're giving me eternal life. I trust you rose from the dead. Would you please make me right with you and lead me now in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to let us know. You can either click that little hand down there or you can let us know through Facebook or you can simply open our app and just say, hey, I, I made this decision because we want to connect you to that one who can begin to help you grow and understand and pull these pieces together. You're at the beginning of an adventure that's gonna last the rest of your life. So let us know. Otherwise, church, let's us get out there and give every opportunity we possibly can. God bless you.